this week's episode of the Why Marketing Podcast, John and I sit down with Peter Isaacson, the CMO of Demandbase, to talk about his background and how companies are able to leverage account-based marketing to grow and scale their businesses. So now, let's jump right into today's show with Peter Isaacson. John, Rusty, thanks for having me on the show. Thrilled to be here. So Peter Isaacson, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Demandbase. I guess my, my path to, to get here was somewhat methodical in the sense that I really decided early on that I wanted to lead a marketing organization and then kind of set out and took the steps I needed to build the experience to actually become a CMO. So started out in, uh, in advertising back in New York for about 10 years, uh, worked at Adobe, moved uh, to the West Coast and worked at Adobe for a number of years in a few different roles. Uh, heading up brand marketing, heading up worldwide field marketing, and then ultimately leading their education business. That gave them the background that I needed to run a marketing team uh, and was able to um, run marketing at MicroStrategy, uh, a uh, BI-based company in, uh, in Washington, D.C., when my wife and I were toying with the idea of moving back to the East Coast. Luckily, cooler heads prevailed. We stayed out on the West Coast. Uh, and I became CMO at a company called Castlight Health, and we were actually customers of Demandbase. I got a chance to meet uh, Chris Golick, the founder and CEO of Demandbase, and we got along famously, and rest is history, as they say. I joined uh, Demandbase about six years ago. For those that aren't familiar with Demandbase, I mean, obviously it's ABM. Could you explain a little bit about what y'all do and the market y'all serve? Yeah, so we're really, um, I guess, the, the pioneers of, uh, of account-based marketing. Um, I think we get uh, kind of the majority of the credit for creating a category, um, even though the category really, the idea of account-based marketing has been around for decades. I mean, I was doing it back when I was managing a field marketing team uh, at Adobe uh, back in the early 2000s. We didn't call it account-based marketing. We called it, it, we called it targeted account marketing, um, but we were still going after specific accounts. The challenge was we just couldn't scale it. We didn't have the technology to go after more than a handful of accounts. And what Demandbase does in the market is we actually help companies identify, target, and then engage the specific accounts that are going to have the most impact on, on your business. Whether that's 50 accounts or 500 accounts or 5,000 accounts, you can scale your account-based approach and deliver that engagement across different channels like advertising, website personalization, um, uh, through your sales engagement, things like that. I have a question um, just for kind of the audience, because as Rusty and I have been doing this, we, we talked to, and, and, and I'm, I myself being one of them, I've, I've worked in the B2B side in terms of it's part of my business, but the majority of my business in a financial perspective as well as brand building perspective is B2C. However, um, you know, obviously doing my due diligence and research on what you guys do, could you kind of describe the funnel that you have versus kind of our typical B2C consumer funnel? Because there's a lot of parallels, but obviously some difference, differences as well. Sure. Well, um, I'm probably not the most qualified to really talk about the B2C funnel. It's been years okay, well, since you, I've really been we, on the we B2C can, side. We can ping pong each other then because I do that and then uh, we, we can ping pong. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I, I think the, the big difference with ABM... Um, just overall is that the old, quite honestly, I think it's um, helpful to just compare it to 
the old model or traditional model of demand generation, which is this idea that you generate um, thousands of leads for some companies, hundreds of thousands of leads, which we call the top of the funnel, right? And you go through a qualification process on those top of the funnel leads and try to ultimately get them through the middle of the funnel and then what we call the bottom of the funnel to give a couple of golden nuggets over to sales where they can hopefully close them. And the problem with that is that you waste so much time and resources generating thousands and thousands of leads that are never going to get interested in your company or your products or what you're selling, that it's incredibly inefficient. So you immediately get friction points between sales and marketing as you're kind of going through this process and it just becomes really corrosive to the company. So that's what ABM is all about. ABM is saying, you know what, there are a specific number of accounts, again, whether it's 50 or 500 or 5,000 that are really going to drive the, uh, the success of our company this year and next. So let's coordinate our activities, um, sales and marketing against those accounts and not waste our time chasing leads for accounts that don't matter. So for all intents and purposes, you still have the funnel, but you guys are going way down within that funnel and, and, and going after your exact target that you know is probably going to convert versus that top where there's thousands and thousands. Exactly. So it's just a much more kind of prescriptive and focused effort at the beginning because you're identifying specific accounts and chasing those accounts rather than just saying, you know what, whoever knocks on the door, let's chase them down. Right. Which, I mean, when you really think about it, it's a crazy approach to, to any kind of business. And again, it's just it's it's no wonder that sales and marketing teams have traditionally just, you know, been at odds with each other. And there's so much friction around it because marketing has basically been rewarded on volume and all sales want is quality. Right. They just want, you know, give me a handful of meetings that accounts that I care about. I'll take that every day over a thousand kind of, you know, generic leads that I got to cherry pick through. Yeah, nobody wants to do spray and pray and hope it works out. But how does the insight, you know, to get down from the top of the funnel to the starting point where you guys are engaging, how is that decision tree being made? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing um, that you've got to do is make sure that you're chasing the right accounts, right? And, um, you know, data, like anything, is your, is your friend in this. So, you know, Demandbase has uh, something called account selection. There are various ways of uh, uh, data sources to do this. But you're essentially combining lookalike modeling with predictive, with sophisticated intent to identify the accounts that are most likely to impact your business. So the first step is really getting after, like identifying that right account list and making sure that you and your sales team are coordinated on that. It doesn't do any good for an ABM approach if marketing is chasing one set of accounts and sales is chasing another. Then you're continuing to use those de that data and the insights that you're developing about how they're engaging with you, what kind of content they're reading, what kind of content offline they're engaging with, to actually identify them as they're going through that funnel and showing more significant signs of intent. And as they do, as they show greater signs of intent, you are likely changing the uh, mix of channels and tactics around them to try and get them to a close. 
Would this be a fair question? Because uh, as I'm listening to you, it feels like because you're so data rich, your conversion rate, your close ratio would be very high. Um, obviously, you guys are massively successful, so I'm going to go with your head nod that that's a yes. That's a, that's <laughs> and, a definite yes. And so then in your customer's perspective, are they just blown away at the accuracy and how and and how that conversion rate is so strong uh absolutely so close rates are you know i think just generally speaking one of the great things that's happened in marketing over the years is that we have become much more focused on business impact so in the bad old days we were focused on you know mqls and marketing qualified leads and just generic leads and stuff and now marketers have gotten much more focused and even comped on things that are closer to business impact, pipeline, um, and things like close rates and ACV and funnel velocity, right? Things that have real business impact that a CRO is going to be interested in. And we ran our own um, test amongst our target account list and the rest of the accounts that, um, that weren't in our target account list and actually measured ACV, funnel velocity, and close rates. And for our target accounts, they were significantly higher, and I can get you the data after the show, but significantly higher for the target account list that we were going after. And customer after customer is having similar results uh, with their account-based marketing program. We should probably have a post-conversation because I'd love to talk to you about how your business can impact the consumer package goods base, uh, business because sometimes a little bit old school. I've got a, you know, three tier distribution system, distributed network, as well as, uh, you know, key accounts, uh, in grocery and convenience and, and, uh, it's still face to face conversation. Well, there is definitely a, a distributor and channel partner play for ABM. Um, you know, less of a tactic that would be used for getting those end package good consumers to buy, obviously, in terms of the, the cost. Um, but certainly it's a great play for channel partners and distribution partners. Yeah. And, and interesting because, um, like I said, the, the business is, and I've been doing this for a long time and especially in a three tier distribution system. And, uh, it hasn't changed that much since I graduated college, which was a long time ago. <laughs> so even though it's better advancements in technology, there's just still some of the old school thinking. And, uh, it would be interesting to, to, to see how we could attack the B2B side before I even get to my side, which is the top of the funnel consumer conversation. Well, so, so, uh, I talked about, uh, early on about my experience first in advertising uh, back in New York. My first accounts that I worked on were Procter and Gamble. So I was managing the Tide business and Ivory and all of those classic package good stuff. And they were masters at using data, um, to, to make decisions on their products and investments. And it was kind of a management, uh, marketing degree just working with those guys at Procter and Gamble. It was awesome. But yeah, it's funny how slow moving they are in terms of just the old model of a multi-tier distribution and kind of, so anyway, I feel your pain a little bit. So how are you guys using your own technology at Demandbase? Uh, so we have made that a priority. So we have something called DB on DB where we definitely kind of, you know, choose your um, phrase, eat your own dog food, drink your own champagne. Um, however you want to, uh, however you want to do it. But we have DB on DB, which is 
how we use our own products and how we measure success and how we do it. And it's amazing. There's some of the most valued pieces of content from our, uh, by our sales team for our customers. They definitely want to hear case studies. They definitely want to hear kind of results from if you're in a specific vertical, tell me about that vertical. But I tell you, customers love to hear from us as marketers, like how we're doing it, how we're cracking the problems that they have, how we're using account-based advertising to drive more business results, how we're doing testing, things like that. So it's an incredibly part, uh, important part of our go-to-market. Well, it gives you a lot of learnings, too, because you're able to test, test, test. And if you know what's working for you, you can apply that to parallel industries or markets. Well, quite honestly, it just keeps us sharp, right? Because we're always trying to innovate. And as practitioners ourselves, um, you know, we want to be pushing the bounds of thought leadership around account-based marketing and what is really cutting edge, right? Um, five years ago, you know, account-based marketing was pretty monolithic in terms of the approach that it took and the technology that was out there to actually drive it. It's gotten much more sophisticated in terms of the data and the channels that you can use and the blended tiers that you're actually going after. So it does really help us stay sharp and be kind of thought leaders as practitioners out there. What are some of the core challenges that companies face as they try to deploy ABM? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a few kind of core challenges that um, that folks kind of run in against. One of the challenges is that it's surprising, but uh, a lot of companies still think that, you know, because the M in ABM is marketing, that marketing can kind of go off into a corner and do this on their own. And that's kind of a recipe for poor results, no matter what you're doing across B2B. But for ABM, it's absolutely fatal. So you really, from the very beginning, you've got to be engaging your sales team and um, and coordinating kind of the development of the account list and what role they're playing and what role you're playing. So that's one of the most important ones. The other thing I would say that uh, a mistake that some companies make is they get kind of wrapped up in like, oh, this is going to be a huge change management exercise for us. And we got to, we're going to spend the next six months kind of going through and kind of figuring out roles and responsibilities and kind of rewriting job descriptions and stuff like that. And like, yeah, like ABM is, can be incredibly nuanced and it can be very sophisticated, but it's also just kind of basic good marketing. It's about focus and segmentation and targeting and things that as B2B marketers we've learned all along or we should have learned all along. So, um, you know, you just, I just uh, caution companies that want to spend six months and hit a pause on everything while they kind of develop their change management and organizational structure to say, you know what? Just dive in, right? There are some basic things that you can do around ABM that can get you great results right out of the gate. So don't hesitate. Yeah, it's interesting to say that. I mean, I, I, I worked on a brand uh, that even at our heyday, we had 95% ACV. So there's still 5% kind of floating out there. Um, yeah. And so I guess my question, so, you know, to your point about, you know, diving in, there's always 5, 10, 20% that you're just not even going after in terms of business, even if you're a mature business. So my question is, have you guys run into any companies that you're just like, you know what, this space is not, you guys don't need us. This space just doesn't fit us because I'm sitting here thinking, Everybody should be using you. 
Yeah, I, th I think, you know, the companies that I actually, and I, I've sat across from marketers that have wanted to buy demand base, and I, I've had to say, I'm just telling you as a fellow marketer, don't. <laughs> um, and the two types of companies that I've cautioned against it are one, just very early stage companies. You know, they got 10 or $15 million in revenue. There's so much storming and kind of, if not chaos, then they're still trying to figure out their go-to-market motion and their, their, their sales motion. And there's so much going on in terms of the variables that are changing. It's really difficult to kind of invest consistently in an account-based approach with a sophisticated platform. So what they end up doing is they don't have the cycles to actually really invest in the platform and they don't get the results that they want. And quite honestly, there's some analog things that they should be doing first anyway around ABM. So I've had a caution against that. The other thing is that, you know, there are some companies that come to us and they're selling $20 widgets and it's B2B, but you know what? Like the cost, the transaction costs and stuff and the volume that you need is more like B2C than it is B2B. And you're probably not going to get the kind of volume that you really need and it won't be true ABM anyway because you got to go after 30,000 accounts not 5,000. So I have had to caution a couple of companies away from that. My sales team hates me for it. Would love to sell to anyone who uh you know, hey, come on, we had them. Um but the reality is that, you know, they'll churn after a year anyway and that's not good for them or us. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up because I was sitting here thinking because I'm in a startup and we're pre-revenue right now, but we're rolling out and we have a massive industry that we target. But I was sitting there looking at it going, wow, we just don't have the insights, the data points, even our processes to really be able to come into a demand base and say, how are you going to be able to help us out? Because we don't even know yet where we need to fall within that process. Yeah. I mean, so there's two challenges, right? One is like the investment in the platform. It, it's not inconsequential, right? So... There, there is a, a commitment there and a lot of companies that size, even if they do have a healthy funding round, um, shouldn't be making that investment um, right out of the gate. Um, but as you said, you're also trying to figure out who your real customers are and you probably don't have enough data to understand that unless you're coming into a market that's already fully developed and you're just trying to steal you know, market share from the pie so you kind of know who everyone's been selling to. But a lot of companies aren't in that position. They're trying to figure out who their core market is, who their most likely buyer, who their ideal customer profile is. So it's premature to jump into an ABM approach. I think we're aligned there. So let's talk now about marketing predictions for 2020. What do you see out there and how do you see uh, the market evolving and what are you getting excited about? Well, I, I got to say, so this is going to be a downer because it's not what I'm getting excited about, um, but it's it's realism, I guess. Um, and it's something that I'm talking about uh, just this afternoon, which is, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to talk to hundreds of uh, hundreds and hundreds of B2B marketers every year. And I've noticed a really distinct trend over the past year in my conversations with prospects and customers and partners. And that is a pretty significant percentage of them have mentioned or said that They've either gotten a budget cut or they're expecting a budget cut. And, you know, it's I'm, I'm not trying to be partisan on this or anything like that. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there about best economy ever and things like that. But when you look at GDP and cap expenditures and business confidence, like all of those growth is slowing. 
and um, Gartner uh, just published their 2019 CMO survey. And for the third consecutive year, marketing budgets have declined. And I think that's going to accelerate. So a lot of the conversations that we're having are no longer, hey, blue sky, here's what you could do. And wouldn't this be great? And things like that. It's I got to be as efficient and focused as possible. How can I do that with ABM or how can I make my ABM program even more efficient and effective because I'm going to have to do more with less essentially. Are those conversations happening with established brands or brands that are st still trying to get established? And I, I ask that because for me and my background, if, you, if you've got a brand that's established, ultimately it's, it's about this, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's about, it's about revenue generating uh, for the audience. Uh, I was doing the Johnny Manziel, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but it's about generating revenue. And so if I'm a CMO and I can go to, you know, my head of sales and say, I've got a way that we can generate more revenue. Well, then I'm a hero, you know, yeah. and, and, and like and you mentioned in the past, you know, marketing and sales working together or, or opposition, depending on what the scenario is. Uh, I just became the biggest fan of the sales force. So can that tide turn? Can that uh, conversation differ? If uh, you almost, if you guys almost take a different sales approach and, and ask that question. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it can. I think what um, it comes down to is for a lot of companies, they are, so yes, like you can connect the dots very clearly and ABM helps this attach like marketing activities to revenue and showing kind of what you're contributing. Um, but so many companies are feeling like, you know what, we are going to just economic concerns are forcing us to cut back on our growth expectations. And that's going to have an impact on, um, on our CAC and our um, customer acquisition and how much we're going to invest in different areas of the business. So it becomes a reality. I would say that we're seeing it not only in established businesses and traditional verticals like a financial services or a healthcare or manufacturing, we're seeing it with technology vendors as well, because um, a lot of them that are private, you know, during two, three years ago, everyone was talking about revenue growth and top line. And now their investors are getting a bit cautious and saying, you know what, I, we got to see a path towards profitability. You got, you guys got to show us how you're going to get to cash flow break even. And when you start having those conversations, then marketing and marketing investment comes into play. So we're seeing it across the traditional businesses, the more mature businesses, but also technology and less mature businesses. Interesting. Um, I guess I never thought of that. I always, I always thought tech was always continuing to go, go, go. But uh, that, that, that's a very interesting perspective. So even if the economy is ro as robust as it is right now, and I, and I guess that is kind of the question for, for you on, on your funnel. Um, again, I kind of go back to, isn't the world a little bit of your oyster or do you find yourselves having to work harder in your own funnel on your own business to get those new customers? Uh, you know, I think there's still a lot of untapped kind of potential within account-based marketing. I mean, I think I kind of, kind of look at it as like if it were a baseball game, we'd be in the second or third inning right now, maybe at best. I think there's a lot of innovation happening right now around the data, around intent, around different channels that you're developing about different ways of, of delivering insights to your sales team and orchestrating activities with them. So 
I think there's a lot of great stuff to come. I also think just in terms of uh, trends and what I think is going to happen in 2020 and 2021 is, you know, all this has, we've all kind of heard of the 7,000 marketing technology companies in the Luma landscape or the MarTech landscape. I think 2020, 2021, especially if um, the economy softens a bit, I think that there's going to be a major trend towards consolidation which will hurt a lot of technology vendors, but ultimately I think benefit the customer because right now they're confused by what the hell's going on out there in terms of the number of technologies that can do very specific point things. And a lot of them don't kind of work together. So I think consolidation's ultimately gonna be good for the industry and good for the customer. I'm going to guess your innovation lab, if you will, is pretty robust. So can you just kind of touch on how you guys and your company and your technology stay on the cutting edge or out in front that nobody else has to convince me that, you know, to use you guys. Sure. So um, that has been a huge investment for us from the beginning, right? We not only invest in our platform and the solutions that go around with it, but actually the data. And that's been a real point of differentiation for us. Um, because there are a lot of kind of empty vessels out there, whether it's Salesforce or Marketo or the, you know, CRM systems, marketing automation systems, where it's you bring the data and we'll kind of report back on it. Um, we actually have over the last really 10 years developed our own proprietary data that really provides a point of differentiation for us. And that's what drives everything around our, around our platform. I'd say the other thing that, um, is, really drives our innovation and is one of the most rewarding parts of our marketing team's job is that we're customer zero, right? We're selling into CMOs, heads of demand gen, heads of marketing ops, field marketing, et cetera. So we're actually heavily involved in actually the input and the development of the products that we're bringing to market. So that kind of provides incentive for the best and the brightest to come work at demand base because they get to actually help in product development in a way that they just don't get to when they're working at a cybersecurity or, you know, another type of company. So competition is fierce to work at demand base. <laughs> it, it, it is. Um, competition is fierce um, for employers to try and get great talent, but I feel like we've got a leg up to get people because Really, just the idea that you are selling to marketers is uh, it, it's an awesome value prop for them. Well, Peter, I appreciate it. We're about to wrap this up, but let's go through the speed round real quick. I got four random questions for you, and then we'll say goodbye. All right. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. John? Binging Netflix. Yeah. My kids love YouTube. I don't get it. It's yeah. Just... See, as a, as a consumer marketer, there's also a purpose for YouTube as well. You know, it's, uh, you know, little, little snippets of content are always a good thing. Oh, my, my kids actually uh, devour YouTube. They're on it constantly. But, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a Netflix. Random facts are coming out of my kids' mouths all the time. I'm like, where the heck did you learn that? <laughs> YouTube. YouTube. So, uh, iOS or Android? iOS. John? Same, iOS. It's a three-peated there. Um, beach or mountains? Oh, this, has, uh, this is one of the great debates with my wife and I. Um, 
because she's always been mountains. I've always been beach, but I got to say, uh, as time has gone on, I actually have, uh, there's more stuff to do in the mountains. So I'm becoming a mountain guy. I, I, I mean, I went to university of Colorado Boulder, so I've always loved the mountains, but I'm, uh, I'm appreciating kind of the multi-season appeal of, uh, of mountains right now. It's funny that you say that because I got accepted there and my dad said, are you kidding me? You'll be skiing every day. You'll flunk out. Like, no way. <laughs> um, but I, I, I have to, I have to say beach and maybe because I live on a lake and I'm the Smoky Mountains are in my backyard. So I'm spoiled. I live a little bit have the best of both worlds. That's so good. I, I, I don't, I don't have quite the vertical drop that Colorado does, but, uh, you know, it's 60 here and I can look and there's snow on top right now. That's pretty nice. Last one, uh, Peter, this one's for you. Advice to your younger self. Oh, man. Um, so many things that I should be telling myself. Um, I would just say, uh, you know, keep working hard, but don't sweat the small stuff. You're pointing in the right direction, and it's all going to work out. That's good advice. We've heard that one before. We've heard that one before. I think there are, I mean, if you really think about it, there's a lot of the advice that we get that people throw out there are things that are very common that apply to pretty much all of us. And it's one of those things that you get to a certain point, you experience a lot of it, and it all feels the same. So it's a good, I think it's good. Yeah. It's interesting you say that, Peter, because uh, I started out my career as, as an agency guy too, and uh, we used to have a catchphrase that was, we might not be finished, but we're always done, which means yeah. it's, it's good enough for a presentation. The client's not going to know that we're, we're not, uh, we're not finished, but that's the finished part is usually the small stuff that doesn't really matter in the end. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That was, uh, that was one of the tough things about, uh, agency life, right? Yeah, exactly. Perfect being the enemy of, uh, of pretty darn good. And also time too. Never having enough time to get it all done. That was yeah, always that. So. Totally. Well, guys, uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, loved learning more about your background, demand base, and what you guys are doing there to help marketers and salespeople alike. Well, thank you guys for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Thanks. Peter. All right, take care. Bye-bye.